welcome to the UK Airshow Review Podcast. The podcast we started because we had no airshows to review. I'm Tom Jones, Tommy on the forum. Uh, I'm Dan Ledward, Ledhead27 on the forum. And I'm Dominic Vickery, Dom Vickery on the forum. And with us today is a well-known individual on the airshow scene, a long-time UCAR member, the new head of air operations at RIAT, Peter Riach, who's also the former operations manager at the RAF Cosford Airshow. Peter, thanks very much for being with us. Um, I suppose the first question is, how did you get into this industry? How did your career start? It's an interesting question when when people uh, ask me this, um, because it kind of just happened by accident. So um, during my teenage years and when I was um, um, choosing kind of A-levels and universities, initially I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I wanted to be aviation uh, journalist and write the magazines and things like that and writing for UCAR previously um, kind of inspired that uh, and then as I got a bit closer I decided to, so I went to Coventry University and studied aviation management uh, so in 2012 I'd done an interview on a podcast for UCAR with the uh, then FDD and um, organising team of COSFID uh, referenced the 2012 air show which was when the organising team had quite a significant overhaul um, and then from there, for the 2013 show, uh, Amanda Butcher was the airshow director then, and she invited me back to kind of give an enthusiast's opinion on what became the Cosford Club. So for the first year, um, while I was at university, I used to go in, into, into Cosford on a Wednesday, uh, just on a voluntary basis, uh, and help them out with that. And then kind of uh, mission creep as time went on, helped out and other things um, on the operations side. Uh, but yeah, for that 2013 show, I was helping run the Cosford Club, which was, was a great experience to see that. And then for 2014, I stayed uh, volunteering with the team, uh, but a bit more focused on ops. So, you know, doing sort of the admin uh, work for the FTD and the then operations manager uh, slot times and, and all the admin for things like that for the 2014 show. Uh, and then it just all, all aligned, the stars aligned for me. So 20. September 2014, I needed to do my um, placement year or year in industry um, at university because I was doing a sandwich degree. Um, and it just so happened that the, there was the, the slot as uh, Chas McHugh, who was the operations manager at Cosford, was leaving. Uh, so I took that slot effectively to organise the 2015 show, well, organise the air elements of 2015. Uh, did that, stayed involved um, as I was doing my final year at uni, somehow find ta- found time to still go to Cosford every Wednesday, help out, besides writing a dissertation and all that fun stuff, which, as a matter of fact, I did on, on air shows. Um, so that that was quite interesting trying to write a dissertation when you're doing your literature review and there's not much out there about air shows um, in the academic world so I did that uh, and then for the so did that left university was lucky enough to get the full-time job at Cosford so I did the seven, 2017 2018 2019 shows there full-time uh, and then um I saw the job advert for Tom Gibbons' job at RIA and it had always kind of been a dream job of mine. So I had to apply and I was lucky enough after after a few interviews, I remember the Friday afternoon afternoon when Paul Afton gave me the call and I was a very happy man. I mean, it, it, it's meant relocating to Shropshire, um, from Shropshire to the Cotswolds and trying to move house during the lockdown was, was an interesting experience. But I'm now settled down here, been at Fairford since um, since mid-January. Um, my two-month anniversary of working for RAFCTE was the day that uh, React 2020 got cancelled, unfortunately. Um, so along with the rest of the team, um, we all got furloughed um, using the government's coronavirus job retention scheme. 
Um, but then with Virtual Ed 2, I was brought back. So I'm project managing Virtual Ed 2 at the moment. And slowly a few more of the permanent staff are being brought back off furlough to help us run that. And that's now looking really promising for uh, a few weeks time. So not, not, the, not the real react, but hopefully a, a decent substitute for people um, to kind of scratch that aviation itch for that weekend in July when we know we should all be um, at Fairford. So going back a little bit. So 2015 was the RAF CrossFit Air Show. That was your first year properly organising the aircraft element of that show. Was that a pretty intimidating step up? It was, but I was lucky that um, I'd kind of had some really good mentors there. Um, so Chas McHugh had kind of taught me the, the op side. Also the Bill Hartrews, the FDD and, and Mike Stanway had been um, kind of learning. Um, kind of, I tried to be a bit of a sponge and just learn or absorb all the information I could off them. Um, so yes, but the thing is it's not a one-man band. as a team effort, especially at Cosford. It's a very small core team uh, in the office of you know, four or five civilians, but then you've got the whole base behind it as the show approaches but no it was um very interesting um and, it, and it, i think it went to show that um, having having you know me with my enthusiast knowledge of what we wanted to ask for for air arms and that was the first year without waddington as well so we kind of were the raf air show so going out with that with the kind of a revigorated um invitation list and things kind of paid dividends um unfortunately it was kind of the show that in, there was a there was a twenty four hour period in the week running up to where we lost um, the Orion Ramex Delta. We'd lost the Polish Mig a few days or, or a week or so earlier. Um, so it kind of got bludgeoned by cancellation, sadly. But I think it was still a still a pretty good show from from what I remember of the day. Yeah, I bet those days just fly by. He can't even take stock of what's going on. No, it's it, it's one of the things I've kind of learned um, over the last. Um, five, six, seven years is find ten minutes in the in the day, but also in the days prior to kind of have a bit of time, not time to yourself, but actually kind of enjoy and have a look around. Because I remember that first, it's kind of like, oh look, that's a right. Oh, driving around, of, oh, when did that arrive, and, and things like that, and um, and especially on the day, the the day just fly, flies by, and before you know it, the flying place <laughs> finished, everyone's going home, and and you're there thinking, well, I didn't didn't get to see anything. So um, no, it's it's a, it's a it's a funny one. It's kind of You'd think that um, working, you'd get all these great behind-the-scenes uh, views and things, but the reality is sometimes you just you're just a bit too busy to, to do anything, and the, the best moments can pass you by. In the in the days sort of after you've done the Cosford show, then um, we've spoken about it on the podcast before. Like when we do react, obviously react's a, a week-long thing where we take a lot of time out, and it feels like a bit of a hangover afterwards, and you feel a bit <sighs> afterwards. Do you get that the same when you were organising the cost for churn? You feel just a bit run down afterwards? Yeah, I think it's a well-known phenomenon in, in not just air shows, but the event industry itself of any kind of post-event blues. Because um, from, from Cosford, from, um, the, the two or three weeks before the show, you are, everyone in the team is kind of a single point of failure. You've got every man and his dog and coming to you with questions. And it's, it's, you also get almost an adrenaline rush for that week. And then suddenly, like come the Tuesday, it's kind of well, done. You, you, you're back to being a nobody, um, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, you, you certainly get the, the event, and it's it's taking the stock and, and finding. Obviously, there's a lot of things to be done. Um, the air show isn't over on the Sunday. Obviously, the Monday uh, morning, regardless of, of where it is, whether it's Cosford, Riyadh, or somewhere else, you know, you've got to clean the airfield up. 
there's, there's contractors who are itching first thing Monday morning to take away their hundreds of portaloos and tents <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, in most cases, there's an airfield that needs to get back to being an airfield uh, as opposed to, to, to an airshow site. Um, so there's a, a lot to do. But certainly, yeah, later on, it's, it's usually kind of the week after, um, not, not the immediate week after, the kind of the following full week um, where it kind of, you, you get your post-event blues because the bills haven't started arriving yet. Well, some have, but, but not really. But it's kind of, you sat there going, ah, oh, I used to be really busy and now everything's gone and it's just back to normal for the next 10 months, 11 months. So. Yeah. Looking back at the RAF Cosford Air Show, if you could take one thing or element as your, um, your biggest achievement or most satisfying moment, what do you think that would be? It, it's 2018 without a doubt. Um, the, 2018 was was two years in the planning for RF100 with our plans and it was just I remember so we had the scissor lift I don't know if any of you went up on it so I um, went up on the scissor lift for the reds display during the day and I just remember being stood on top of that they did the crowd arrival flying over that lineup of uh, Meteor Hunter, Lightning, Phantom and, and they did the crowd arrival red white and blue smoke and it was you know a packed out 60,000 people and it was kind of I just kind of stood there and went we did good because the the collective effort from from the whole team that pulled together that was everything had seemed had just kind of gone, gone super sized that year and it was two years in the planning that all came good um that funnily enough i remember about a year beforehand we're at one of the barter events at shrivenham and i was chatting to tim prince and it's when we just kind of we we kept our plan secret for quite a while and they were kind of starting to get out and i remember tim i was talking to tim prince and he was saying you know how, how t- difficult 2003 was and road moving all the things and I'd kind of naively gone well you know we're, we're taking aircraft out of the equation the aircraft are going to just be put on lorries brought here easy peasy <laughs> and and he was so right that the amount of complications that we had with all the road moves getting them in scheduling getting them out um was not underestimated but that that took a lot of capacity but I think it was so worth it for it was one of those unique events um and it was just a brilliant weekend that the, the weather gods blessed us um, of course, the, the the team we all got a team commendation from the RAF deputy commanders, which was 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 very nice for have, have our efforts appreciated. But everyone at Cosford really pulled together for for that week to get that done. And funnily enough, uh, only this week I've put up uh, my leaving present for Cosford was a copy of the Trenchard Returns painting, uh, which was the painting of, of, of the show with the BBMF Trenchard formation. And I've just got that um, fine, fine after six months got that framed and we just got that up on the living room wall um, the earlier this week. So yeah, that's 2018 which brings lots of happy memories. Proud memories. So 2018 was the year that you had uh, Black Mike on show. Was that always planned to go to Cosford or is that something that you drew, you drew in for the show specifically? That was one of the things. So we initially, in way back in 2016, we were kind of drawing up a list of the most iconic RAF aircraft that we wanted to have in this 100 aircraft set piece. Uh, and then some things, you know, were on the list and, you know, crossed off for practicality purposes. Um, the museum were great, um, got a lot of their things out, but some of their assets. So, you know, the Mosquito was one of the things in the museum that I really, really, really wanted to have outside. But unfortunately, you know, just a few snags with the aircraft and how it was positioned and the length of the tow, they, they, um, we couldn't have that out. But, you know, it was, it was for the safety of the airframe, which, which had to take priority. But the Phantom was one of the things on the list and we'd kind of gone through um, and it was kind of at the same time that GJD uh, were acquiring the aircraft. So in a conversation with Gary, we were looking at having a, a different aircraft brought in and he said, well, I, I'm getting this and I've got to move it from uh, Lucas 
um, why don't you know I bring it? And that's why that was the first aircraft to arrive. I think it arrived in, in sort of was it the February time? It was it was way way ahead of the show, um, and that that it was always the plan to come um, be restored at Cosford and then move on to its its new home at St Athan. Uh, we were we were simply a, a stop a stopping stone. In the same way, the Pink Buccaneer that GJD also own um, moved from Bruntingthorpe to us, and it's destined to go to St Athan. Um, and when I left, the situation still was St. Athen had a lot of roadworks and stuff going on. So basically, the, the, the only road that they could use to get it onto the airfield without having to take down loads of traffic lights was all still being dug up. So that's why that's, that's still at Cosford um, at the moment. But I, I think uh, sometime this summer, it was meant to go uh, off to St. Athen to join the South Wales Aviation Museum. Mm, yeah, they're building the Aston Martin factory. Um, I went to the... Uh, South Wales Air Museum back in August last year on the bank holiday um, and there are so many roundabouts to get through and lots of wire fences so I can imagine what it must be like getting an aircraft through. It was really interesting it was kind of a, a, a exposure to stuff that I'd never thought about all the different you know the, the movement orders and actually had liaised with the police and the highways agency and you know some aircraft you know the Buccaneer for example had to arrive pretty much at like 7am on a Sunday morning because they had to move it overnight on a, on a Saturday to avoid congestion because it came up the M, uh, I think it was M1 and M6 from Bruntingthorpe and things like that. So, yeah, I remember that got to Cosford. It was the week before the show and it was you know, about 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, so, no, it was, there was, there was some, some interesting occurrences in those two weeks. I bet. So, um, the, the stuff based at Cosford, you've obviously got the Jags, you've got the tornado painted by the cadets. What sort of goes into getting sort of. What goes into getting utilising the base jets? Because RAF Cosford itself, as a smorgasbord of preserved aircraft, do you pick airframes such as I want that serial because no one's seen that, or I want that one out for the kids and that one for the photographers? How how does that all work? So it's interesting. It's something that really developed. Um, so 2012, the first show, the first organising team was I think it was the first year where they started to really show off the Jags. I don't know if you you can recall back to kind of the. 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10 shows, they used to just lock all the Jags away up in, up in the dota behind barbed wire. Um, and it was something that um, when, the, when the, the new team took over, we were very, very keen to change. So up until 2015, it was basically the, the units and squadrons um, who and the training schools got to choose which aircraft um, they wanted. And it was one of my things. I was like, no, no I, I want to control because as, as you say, I want spotty jag here for the best pictures. I want this here because we've got this theme. So there was basically a master spreadsheet of serial numbers of everything that's on the airfield side. Um, ordinarily, we couldn't bring anything across from the base side just because of the logistics. I mean, we did make an exception. So for 2018, we brought the Tornado F3 from the main site onto the airfield um, because we got to... we, we begged that it was assets were, were jigged around to, to suit uh, and that, that all came good. But basically, it's, there was a big spreadsheet of registrations. Um, so initially, all the people with hangar displays would, would bid in to say, I need a Jaguar that is um, got suspension cables fitted so we can fit bombs on, on, on and off it during the display. Or I need a Jaguar that's um, avionically live because we want to do this or that's hydraulically live because we want to do undercarriage things and things like that. So you kind of go through, give them those first and then depending on the year and the theme um try and alternate which squadron markings and you know or can i park three or four jets six squadron markings side by side so i think we did that in 2000 and i think it was 17 i think we just had six gray six squadron jets all together on the ubas pan to just try and make it look as operational as possible whereas other years it was oh let's paint put all the prettily painted ones together 
things like that with the Jags. And then there'd always been, so yeah, 2017 was the first show with the two GR4s. Previous to that, there was a couple of GR1s, um, the Harriers. And then from 2018 onwards, the Hawk and the Wessex. Um, no, I think the Wessex was there 2017, wasn't it? Yeah, I was trying to keep it secret. And then someone put a picture of it on Twitter. I think it was the Friday before the show. And I was like, that was meant to be a secret for Sunday. But, um, or, I'd, or I think someone had spotted it from the railway station or something like that. And gone, what was that yellow helicopter? Um... So no, there, there was there was a choice, but there was always kind of a a reason what why things were were parked where they were, um, whether it was operational uh, of who was using because the whole week before the show until the Wednesday afternoon and the week after the show, all the schools were training. So sometimes that to be a bit of give and take of well, actually, I really need that aircraft for training, so it needs to come out last and things like that, which always had to be a consideration. But no, we were really lucky, and there were some really positive characters on on, on the base that let us do crazy things. So when I said, can we repaint a tornado? And by the way, we'd like to do it by hand with air cadets. I wasn't laughed out of the room. It was kind of a, oh, well, why do you want to do that? Well, that's because what they did, you know, 30 years ago for Gulf War One. Well, once we looked at it, we, we could make it happen. So, so that, that was really cool. That was a hot weekend. It was one of those really hot late May weekends in 2018. It was a very hot and sweaty weekend, but but... I think it was worth it just to go that extra mask. Then we could have the the pink buccaneer, pink jag, and pink tornado together. Look, look the bees knees. I thought. Yeah. Plus, I imagine those acolytes would have you know, quite nice memories. They loved it. They loved it. <laughs> F- funny story was um, there were some parts that we couldn't paint. So the whole underside, because they use it for fuel training, had loads of markings all over it. So they said, just don't paint that because no one's going to see it. So I just put, um, like, I briefed it all, masking taped it. But I didn't masking tape the whole underside of a tornado because, you know, I didn't have miles of masking tape. I just squared it off. And I think I'd been, I'd looked away for um, kind of 20 minutes or so. I was like, why are they under that? And they'd done the whole underside of the whole. And I just had to be, I, I had visions of me in the wing commander's office getting a bollocking on Monday morning. So, um, but but luckily, white white spirit and, and a lot of elbow grease came to the rescue and we got all that paint off the underside and, and the markings on the underside that kind of said all the defueling points uh, had, had stayed, thankfully. So that was, that was a, it was one of those, oh God, why, why did we do this um, moments? But hey, it's, but no, it was, no, it was, there was lots of lots of good fun, and um, I think for the show next year, um, they've got the extra hawk. Well, the extra hawks are now on the on the base side, but there's all the the other bits and bobs um, still there. Um, so no, it's, 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 you can't land fast jets at Costa, so it's nice. You know, I think there'll be a percentage of the public that turn up to the show who don't know that the Jaguars. You know, if it's the first time there, they're not going to realise that the Jaguars haven't flown in ten years. They're past their the fast looking grey pointy aeroplanes that are painted grey and you know so that's that's cool to them. And there was always always just surprised me, you know, year on year the queues to sit in the Jaguar at the at the show were were just massive, weren't they? So Someone told me well they were on the railway platform, um the arrival stay, I think in two thousand seventeen, I think they, they pointed to a Jag and said, Oh, when did that arrive? And someone said, um about ten years ago, mate. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but Speaking of static participants, I was looking back at some photos before I came on and stuff that's been to Cosford. Well, there's been some great stuff in the last couple of years. Last year, you had the Slovakian Let Let 410. Yeah, fantastic. How do you get stuff like that? Alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what it was? No, so a lot of it's personal relationships. 
um, which which I've kind of carried forward into the Fairford job, which is which is really good. Um, but there's a as well as the European Airshow Council, there's also a lesser known organisation called IMASC, which is basically the military in most countries. The people who organise their one military show a year are also the same office in their air force who controls their air display assets. So, for example, in Belgium, the same Belgian air 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 Force events team who who decide where the F-16 is going to go, where the Augusta 109 is going to go, they're partially responsible or mainly responsible for organising their air show that's once every two or three years. And it's the same model for, for most European countries. So the thing for IMASC is most people go and it's, it can be a back, it's to share best practice, but it can be a back-scratching exercise for them of, you know, I, I've sat there w- with a beer with conversations going on of I'll send you my fighter jet if you send me yours to this air show this weekend, etc. Um, but unfortunately, the UK is we're slightly disadvantaged at that because obviously you know, we're all separate entities who are all competing to an extent and none of us control, none of the shows control where the Typhoon or the Reds are going to go. That's a separate organisation within the RAF. Um, so it was at IMASC in 2018 um, and the, the Slovak chap was there with lovely boat and after a few beers, I kind of got going and it was me himself and the two Czech reps and I was kind of explaining Cosford's Czechoslovakian heritage during World War Two, and basically convinced them that NATO anniversary and that was a good enough reason to send an aircraft um, and initially on our invitation letter it said um, a Spartan static display and they'd already decided no the Spartan was going to go to Fairford they couldn't afford to send it twice etc so it was all getting bogged down until it was like well what about a Let 410 they're cool it was, um, um, Addy used to fly the Let 410 which I didn't realise at the time he's like you really think they're interested and I was like yeah you know really seen blah 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 spotters will love it and then we are you know, a, few, a few beers later it was oh yeah we, we can probably make <laughs> that work and then obviously then it took it took then a few months of um of headquarters approvals things like that but i think it just goes to show personal relationships um are what the, the the crazy stuff that turns up to the uk um you know things like the korean black eagles for example that was that was a decade of hard work by you know tim prince and the team back then um 10 years ago to make things like that happen um so that's building relationships with people is, is really important and making sure they have a good time um, when they do turn up. Didn't you say something about the Fly Fano team? Yeah, so they came in 2015 and basically they, they just said at the time, you know, we're an Italian flying club, can we come? And it's like, yeah, why not? You know, we've got parking space because they were, they, they were going to sort themselves out as that. I was like, you know what, we've got parking space, why not? You know, um, I'll be honest, light GA aircraft aren't really my cup of tea, but I was like, you know what, some will appreciate it, and, you know, international engagement is all good stuff. And then, you know, as conversation transpired, most of them are Italian Air Force. So then the years after, you know, the, the plotting began to write, you want, oh, we, want, we, we enjoyed the weekend because UBAS are great hosts. Obviously, they're um, university students, so they've all got a, a good drinking ability and the, the crews that aren't, going, that aren't flying on the Sunday can sometimes end up in the nightclubs and, and bars of Shrewsbury and Telford, etc. So they all have a great time. And yeah, the, 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 the plan was, um, well, we'll come back. And, and during 20, late 2016, it was like, right, we're painting up this special tornado. So make sure you send this person, this person, this person, the invitation letter, mention our squadron, our tornado, bish, bosh, bosh. And then, you know, it all, all came good in the end. It was a lot of hard work, but it, it's, it's, it's worth it just to get those little little wins like that. And, and I remember um, sitting, it was a, a late Friday afternoon in the office and they sent through the pictures of it in the paint shop and I hadn't seen the design and obviously the design wasn't public at that point. And I just sat there and went, wow, when, when this is kind of, and this is before we'd announced it, 
So when, when that gets made public, people are going to lose their minds because not not just a, t- a flying tornado, but one that's you know that good looking. Yeah. Um, you mean I, I, I know an aeroplane's good looking when my other half appreciate it. When, when Sophie goes, oh yeah, that Italian tornado, that's a good looking aeroplane. You can have a picture of it on the wall. You know that, that's 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 a measurement of, of the aircraft. Um, that's the threshold desirability to an effect. But yeah, lovely paint scheme, lovely people. So I mean, one of the one of the as you sort of alluded to it earlier, Cosford, like the only sort of disadvantage is that the runway is so short. So obviously you can't get the fast jets to operate out of Cosford. Um, is there any sort of other challenges like because the runway is so short and like the relationship with Shorb is obviously a good one because they seem really happy for you to base aircraft for the weekend out of there yeah it was the crew and the crews were most of the time happy to fly to Shawbury. it did pose some issues for some people if they if they're a country who's designed their display sequence to always be from takeoff um it could sometimes um pose kind of some added complications for example the RAF typhoon always dis- you know, designs the sequence in mind with enough fuel and with the centerline tank because the amount of shows it goes to and doesn't land at exceeds the number of, you know, probably past, you know, Riyadh, Biggin Hill, and I can't really think of others immediately spring to mind of somewhere where the typhoon would operate from there and take off into its display. So that's, whereas other countries, that's kind of a bit more of an alien concept. Um, it was sometimes, it was the language barriers. Um, we have had nations who have sent us the formal letters you know from their chief saying we are sending now i don't want to give away aircraft types to it to to give away nations but we are sending a f-15 or a another fast jet for static display and it's kind of okay well that's not going to work we're sending you know uh, a something that's just for, you know we're sending a, a a marine patrol aircraft for static display and it's like well that, that won't work either and it's kind of um and then, you know, I, I once had the, the jokey conversation with Attaché, who totally got the problem, he got it all sorted. He was like, well, you could just, you could, we could leave our jets for you in the museum. And it's like, <laughs> wouldn't that be lovely? But I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll want them back on Monday morning. Um, so then that, that could um, cause, um, not issues, but it was more, more little humorous challenges to go back to them and say, yeah, I'd love to have that jet for static display. However... <laughs> Um, have you looked how long the runway is? And it's like, oh yes, that's why you asked for the helicopter for static <laughs> display. So, um, but yeah, I don't have those problems anymore, so I can get all the all the cool Gucci jets in for static. So, <laughs> happy days. So, um, we'll move on to React, but just finishing up on Cosford, you mentioned in two thousand and eighteen that your uh, moment of clarity was. I was going to call it the, the standard stair lift, the <laughs> 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 scissor lift. Um, you mentioned the Reds, and I remember the uh, 2018 RAF displays and the RAF 100 show. Um, thinking back the year before in 2017, they had a weird canted display angle to avoid all Brighton, I think it was. Did the Airshow office have anything to do with that? I mean, what was that about? Um, diplomatically, you know, it was a time of quite a lot of change, 2017. 2016 had the immediate knee-jerk stuff from Shoreham and things were just starting to settle down but you know the wording for the regulation was getting a bit more mature to how to, to watch what was the new you know new best practice and the new regulation um, but it was coming at a time that was quite close to the show and ultimately when the Red Arrows you know they'd already been practicing for months and months and months with their old with their kind of original display sequence 
and they had decided that their sequence couldn't be done to the letter of the regulation. And obviously, ultimately, the, the way the military duty holder chain works is, you know, the risk is sitting on someone's head. Um, and it's that someone is basically who's going to go to prison if something goes wrong to, to speak candidly about it. Um, so, so that's that they elevated it and it was well, and they proposed the the alternate thing. It was a lot of work at the last minute for us to you know let's close the AE was it four six four and things like that to to make it work. Mm. Um, I will say it wasn't our first choice, but you know it's it's when when you've got a choice of a red arrow display or no red arrow display, we kind of went for uh, a display on a displaced axis is better than none. Um, but you know, and as the regulations have matured, the things have matured, and a lot of um, kind of liaison with the Reds throughout twenty seventeen into eighteen, because they were having the same issue at, at other places as well. Um, and to to their credit, they they've adapted uh, the new world that we live in for, for flying space since twenty eighteen and uh, since twenty fifteen. Sorry, and now now things are all are all uh, back to normal and, and good uh, around the country. What's um, mentioning Shoreham? What effects has that had on? On air shows, I think it's it's kind of the uh, not death, but death by a thousand cuts. I think it's the, I don't think there's any one particular thing that makes it any more difficult. Um, and I think it depends on on how the shows were running before. Now, some elements that are now um, regulation had always been best practice, and most people had been doing. Um, so there's some things that won't have affected larger shows that were already doing it, but a smaller show that might not have been doing those things now has an extra bill for closing extra roads and things like that. And, you know, a closing a road sounds like a simple process, but if you just put a, some cones and a sign out, people are going to walk around it. So then you've got to pay us, you know, can you get a policeman to do it? You know, can you afford two policemen? Do you want one policeman and a security guard, etc.? So there's, there's so many different things. Um, the I think rightly so, there's a lot more across the board um, understanding of everyone's risk assessments and things like that. It's not just a case of, you know, I as a show have done my risk assessment. Now, all the participants, especially the military ones, are asking, they want to see the risk assessment and understand it and know that where they're coming to display is safe. That when I don't know if 10, 15 years ago, if, if that would have been done, not saying it wasn't safe then, but I don't know if that level of scrutiny was being applied. Um, so on the whole, I think it's, I think the, it's all positive stuff because at the end of the day, it's, it's keeping people safe. Mm. And I think anyone who berates improving safety or improving levels of, of paperwork and accountability, um, well, I know where I'd rather be. I'd rather be on the, on the safer, more accountable, more understood side of it. Mm. But, but I think it's, it's a, an unintended effect that Classic Jets for a few years almost had a bit of a, a negative connotation with them um, that has, has put people off. Um, I don't think the death of the classic jet scene is solely down, down to Shoreham. Um, it came at the same time. So previous to Cosford, I worked for Air Atlantique for a few summers. And obviously that great great assortment of jets was be, was being sold off and disbanded um, pre... That decision had been made pre-Shoreham. That was just because that, that venture had run its um, commercial um, time. And then we've had other... I think other organisations that started up with such as the Canberra that were so good and couldn't make the finances work. It's all those little losses um, that kind of add up to make it to make it feel like Sean has decimated the industry when I think, in fact, overall, um, but don't get me wrong, I love my classic jets and I'd love to see a few more of them in the skies. And I think now the industry's getting to a place where a lot of seaside air shows and smaller air shows have 
kind of cottoned on to the value of noise. Now, at the MAACA symposium a couple of years ago, there was a massive discussion where basically, uh, I think it was one of the seaside shows, they put a, they, they put a price tag on what having Typhoon at their air show gave them. And it was a lot more than you pay for Typhoon because the amount of people it attracts, the amount of sponsors' attention and things like that. And that's why you've seen some of the seaside air shows going out and spending big bucks on the suites mm. because it's the, there's kind of been a, a shift in, um, you know, it was always display teams and big aerobatic teams were, were king. And now I think there's been a bit of a shift to, well, actually, you no, know, afterburners are king. Mm. Um, if, if it's noisy and fast and if it's got flames coming out of the back of it, people love it yeah. even if they know nothing about aircraft it's that's cool um you know especially when it's when it's a vegan or a dragon they might not understand the the rarity but they just look cool um so i think that's that's what we've seen so hopefully in the coming years you know a couple more classic jets might come back to the to the circuit um i think we've had a, an unlucky period mm. but actually i think it teaches us to appreciate what we've got at the same time yeah assuming i haven't checked the caa regs and Assuming that the regulations are relaxed on swept-wing jets and assuming that a display was available, would you think about trying to secure a Hunter display at Riyadh? Um, I, th- I think you'd have to have good reason to do so. Um, and I think my personal opinion is if it's a slow news day um, and you're the first show to have a Hunter, you know, if the stars align for you badly, you know, it's, it's the, the Daily Mail... Um, front cover is, you know, deadly jet booked for so-and-so air show, which is, you know, despite what Michael Aureliary says, I think there is such thing as bad publicity. Um, <laughs> but that said, you know, it would probably be, be above my pay grade. But for me personally, I'd love to see a hunter flying again. And I think most of the visitors would, would love to see it again. Um, but I think there needs to be a reason to why you're doing it. Um, so, you know, Ed's 250th, is that a reason? What aircraft are out there? Um, can't commit to any promises now, but personally, I I... Would love to see the aircraft again. Um, I think I've mentioned it in a conversation with yourself, Tommy, before that when I was at Zeltweg, they had the Swiss uh, two-seat Hunter that's in the Tiger camo. And it was the most sedate, sent, gentle, eight, ten-minute solo display. But just to hear, like, just to see it kind of, it just did this sweeping topside pass. It didn't blue note because it's a, it's a T-bird and doesn't have the, the gun ports, etc. Um but just the sound of the engine, and it was just—it's an aeroplane that just looks right. So it's—it's it's something we're missing for sure. Um, but I think as the the world we live in, unfortunately, is you know anything can become a news story these days. Speaking of React fiftieth, that hunter turned up and performed some sort of um, graceful uh, move with Team Viper in two thousand eleven. So maybe that'd be apt. Yeah, I think it was a hunter anniversary that year as well, yeah, wasn't it? Because yeah. from memory, the, the Kemble show that year as well had a ridiculous amount of hunters. I think I think it was, might have had seven or eight in formation yeah. for that for that Kemble show. It'd be nice to see, uh, but um, yeah, perhaps that's that's another uh, conversation. <laughs> that is, I think you you could do a whole podcast on when, when during my um, few weeks of furlough, I you know went into the old hard drives and it's going through air shows even from only five ten years ago going literally flicking through like well that doesn't explain anymore that's been retired by them that doesn't don't see that that's been repainted it's yeah (laughs) um so you mentioned like um in a couple of previous uh or a staple feature of react in the past was like the western loop um obviously you know really popular with photographers like us guys and offered some you know really nice viewpoints of some lovely jets and stuff um is there any likelihood possibly next year of, of the Western Loop ever coming back at all? 
um, or is that something that just can't logistically be done anymore? Um, so it depends on, so we'll start with 2020. So the plan for 2020, um, which got announced um, kind of in, in early February, we were going to use that as live aircraft parking. Mm. Um, and then depending on the amount of display teams that were there, there was a potential to use a little bit of it for static and kind of move things around. So there was there's two reasons why it stopped being used, but primarily, um, and Tom really emphasised this um, during the handover, is the crews did not like being there. As mad as it sounds, the crews think that the centre of the show is apron black, which is the apron kind of from air traffic east up to where the RAF village is. That's where they all want to be. And annoyingly, that's where um, perhaps some of the less attractive uh, photographic opportunities arise. But there's a definite feel. And so I I, um, went through all the kind of crew feedbacks from previous years. And, you know, the, the difference in their opinion on parking spots of what I thought, well, no, they, you know, that was a good place to photograph them versus, oh, that was a terrible space. It's, it's clear to see that's where the crews want to be because the, the hustle and bustle, they feel like that's the, that's the kind of centre of the show. Even when you're on the main taxiway a bit further west um, on, on the, the big bays where kind of the trading units have stopped, they feel like that's the edge of the show. Um, so the, the, there's tactical stuff we can do to try and make them and, you know, actually say, well, actually, you know, if we themed the area and we had all the, you know, ISR aircraft there, for example, there's things we can do. But, it, but it's an interesting um, perception piece. And there was a couple, even in the, the early months, you know, as we were getting requests in, I'd seen a couple of the, our aircraft. Um, they hadn't been announced, but they were like, yeah, but we really want to be. Um, and, th- and they drew a map of where they wanted to be and it was it was that <laughs> ramp where they would have had a trade stand in front of them and toilets behind them so mm-hmm. it's um, it, it's it's there's, there's perception things from both sides but I'm not going to say never say never um, but for 2021 uh, we'll just see how um, um, obviously our, our, we're hoping and, and, and kind of plan number one is for the world to be back to normal and react 2021 could be an amazing uh, 50th anniversary event and uh, I've got a wish list as long as um, as long as a C5 um, of aircraft that <laughs> I, I, want, I, I want there um, that have kind of had been synonymous with, with air to two history um, so that's what we're working on then we'll just see how much concrete we need so I wouldn't say never say never um, but there's a lot of the parking decisions there's always more than meets the eye it's it's not as simple as let's park the best looking aircraft in the best location yeah. um there's a million and one considerations you know a simple one is you know cat is that aircraft bringing its own tow bar because the annoying thing which is uh, it's still one of my most ironic thing a nato universal tow bar is not nato universal <laughs> it only works on a hand and it's i'm like why is it still cool everyone's like oh yeah it's a nato universal bar but it only works on and it's, like, oh, it's not yet NATO universe. In my head, a NATO universal tow bar should work on everything, but they don't. So if you've got an aircraft without a tow bar, and then you know, um... how they were. In fact, that sort of reminds me. I'm sure you've read the um, Graham Hurley book Air Show, and I'm sure there's a photo in there. Yeah, something like 200 or so air cadets pushing the Ukrainian backfire back because <laughs> they parked it in the wrong place. Yeah, they they couldn't get the tug and the tow bar in front of it. Yeah, so they had to push and it back. They actually had to put. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, it's quite surprising that air crews saw that, but I suppose it makes sense makes in sense. a way. Now you've said it, but how candid are air crew in their feedback on static and on the show as a whole? Um, so there's a detailed survey because they're basically so the way um, the team look at it, and, and the way I've always looked at it as well in, in previous roles. You know, as well as the customer being a customer to the air show, the air crew are a customer as well, and you need them to go back and say good things, or else they're not coming back. 
again, I won't name names, but there was an air arm that came to Cosford in a year um, and they didn't like it. And, you know, and, and we knew on the Monday morning they didn't enjoy their weekend. And then that air arm, it was a three, four, it was a, it was a fair few years absence till they came back. So, you know, their, their, neg- their negative feedback obviously got logged on, a, on an Excel spreadsheet at, at headquarters um, and, and makes a difference. Um, <laughs> unsurprisingly, feeding of air crew. Um, you know, if you give air crew lots of <laughs> nice food and, and, and nice beer, they're happy. And if you forget air crew pack lunches or you give them cheese and pickle sandwiches every day in three or four days in a row, you get bad, bad feedback. Um, so there's, you know, a happy, happy balancing act. And I think there's all, there's all, there's so much behind the stuff um, that people will never see it at Fairford of, of, you know, the really boring stuff of, you know, feeding aircrew, feeding volunteer, transporting aircrew and all that kind of stuff that um, is all so important. Um, but to a day tripper or a free app member, you, you, won't, you won't see it. The magical behind the scenes. Tim Prince was telling us, hopefully that podcast will now be out, but in the days before instant messaging, a US Navy E6 cancelled quite late on before the show because of operational reasons. And because of the lack of instant messaging, by the time the message you got through, yeah. they'd missed the deadline very narrowly to get back a deposit and they lost it's a it's a massive financial risk. So yeah, it's always it's always interesting to hear about this sort of backroom stuff. I mean it might sort of maybe you can't say, I don't know. Um but are there any participants that were penciled for this year's show that weren't announced? That you can reveal a fair few, but I'm not going to reveal them because then it keeps the disappointment on my side of the table rather than rather than um, everyone else going. Oh, I wish I'd seen those, but um, we're, we're, I'm trying to make sure that they all come back for 2021. So. And what's been feedback from those aircrew um, pilots? Have they said we'd love to be back for 2021, or have they said that you know let's uh, let's wait and see? As you say, everyone understands. It's kind of it's not as if we were cancelling for an unknown reason. Every country in the world's in the same predicament, so everyone has just been, kind of been well. You know, thanks for letting us know because we we um, obviously there was there was a comms plan, so we went out to them to say, look, this this is going to happen, um, and everyone everyone's understanding, and most of them um, want to come because you know the crews were happy that their headquarters have said yes, um, so they all, they all want to come back, and we'll just see what what next year brings. Um, with everything in the in the unknown world, but no, it's, everyone was very understanding because you can't really not be. Particularly with it being, as you said earlier, the fiftieth anniversary as well. Um, it, as you say, it'd be great to have whatever was potentially going to come this year, next year. Is there anything that you like think that should be an absolute highlight of the show that you're like like a bucket list item that you really want to see next year? Anything in mind at all? There's a few different things. We've kind of worked out a document of things that we can do, things that we can ask for. Um, my hope, and I hope I don't stitch myself up, is that is that we will half unveil the first participant for React 2021 um, during Virtual Ed 2 in a few weeks' time um, to kind of share our intentions okay. and to kind of set people's appetites for next year up. Um, so I shall keep it in the bag for them. But I think, to be honest, when you know, when you read the the wish list threads on UCAR and Facebook and stuff, I and the team want the same as you. We want to see the rare stuff we haven't seen before. We want to see the Russian hardware. And then there's a mix of you know we want to see an air forces. You know, let's take an example. As much as you know, we want to see the Belgian air forces new A four hundred. Um, because it's new and shiny, but at the same time, it'll be the last chance to see the Herx. So there's always that balancing act of 
Uh, and then some air forces, you'll ask for the old stuff, but they want to show off the new stuff. So there's that nice balance of kind of last chance to see stuff and first chance to see other things. Um, I think I will always uh, lean slightly on the side of uh, I'd rather see uh, you know uh, an AMX or a Tornado or a Mirage F1 or something like that yeah. for the last time rather than an F35 for the first because you know I've got we've got 20 years or 10 years to see F35s for the first time whereas other types that are disappearing that they will be kind of the natural priority but it's it's about getting a theme that gets a nice mix of airplanes uh, so there's something for everyone because I'm I'm very well aware as well you know some people love helicopters some people they don't don't interest them at all um, you know some people like the exotic training aircraft. And, you know, I saw it at Acosta when you didn't announce stuff. I remember the French Epsilons, you know. I'd worked really, really, really hard to convince them. And when that all came good, I was like, I was like, don't worry, lads, the spotters are going to love this. <laughs> announced it. And it was like, no, I'd rather see a match. I'd rather see a match. And, it was, and it, was, it, was like the first, it was like the first time French Air Force active Epsilons have been to the, um, to the UK since a Mildenhall show or something ridiculous like that. And it's kind of like, what's wrong with everyone? But then it's kind of, well, actually, what's good in my taste to someone else is, is, is naff, so... It's, it's about getting a nice balance of, of things. And when you do your invite letters, um, you know, the, the thing that I have bared in mind um, for, for the React letters is a lot of the European air arms not necessarily asking for their big aircraft. Because when you're going further afield, you know, looking at Latin America or Asia, you've got to ask for, for the big aircraft because you can't say, you know, dear, dear Brazil, please send me a hind. Because it's 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 just not going to happen, is it? Um, but they, you know, there's lots of stuff in our inventory that they could practically send. Um, whereas Europe, um, obviously, you, you've got the choice of trainers and helicopters that you're not going to get from elsewhere. With your with your enthusiast hat on, how has being a UCAR member, uh, you know, influenced your your roles? And do you take account what we talk about in our reviews and planning any shows? Yeah, certainly. What's as long as it's constructive criticism, and there wasn't. Um, there's been some examples where something's been criticised, but it's been it's happened for a reason. But if other stuff has been an unintended kind of oversight, yes, I think um, more airshow organisers than would care to admit it do read the UCAR reviews um, and, and take note of of what they say. Um, for me personally, yeah, I always try to do that. And obviously the, the big thing with um, forums and social media is if it's not a fast jet, it's not important. But I kind of in- ignore those views and, and, as I said, try to get the balance of aircraft. Yeah, an absolute Merlin fest. That'd be what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Taking that a little further, though, looking further than forums, what do you think social media has done? Not the hobby, but how do you think the hobby has changed because of social media? See, for me... Yes, I've seen it change a little bit in the last, you know, 10, 15 years um, that I've been involved in, in the hobby. But I can't remember, you know, the good old days of sitting on a Mac loop and shooting Buccaneers because I was not around. Um, I, I think it's, it's given the, the hobby out to, to more people, which is a good thing. But I think sometimes there's, there's you know, there's an education piece that might be required. Um, how can I say this diplomatically? Um, I... You know, you see the posts on Facebook groups when people have gone and parked blocking crash gates, airfields and things like that. And I think that's because, you know, a Facebook group is very easy to join. It's very easy to scroll down and go, oh, look, there's a 747 due in at three o'clock. Let's go watch it without understanding the kind of background. And, you know, it's a big red gate. Whereas if you have, you know, been around the hobby a bit longer and talked on the forums, and things like that, 
um, and, and met other knowledgeable people. You've probably picked up at some point that the big red gate is, you know, if something horrible happens, is so that fire engines and ambulances and whatnot can, can get to and from it. Um, whereas to a casual visitor, um, they might not understand the, the connotation. So I think that's perhaps a negative effect that social media has seen. Um, but I think it's made it's made um, air shows more um, engaged with the public. I think I think ultimately, I think we've seen it with lots of other venues that um, whereas before it might have been, you know, they only update their participation list, you know, once a month or something like that, or or if that in in some events cases, uh, or or released it the day before. I think people have cottoned on to the marketing value of you know, if if they've got a weekly announcement or they're doing their announcements on social media, they can see the interaction. And then I know there are some shows do it and, and kind of not measure by likes, but go, well, you know, we announced that and it got a thousand likes, whereas we announced that it only got a hundred. Oh, kind of, you know, it, it, there is, uh, people do take notice of it. In 2012, React changed its participation into traffic light system. Um, and that's now translated as every Thursday we're sat there refreshing the list there are some calls now for a return to ad hoc announcements do you think that scheduled announcements are better or worse or do you reach you know do you, i mean do you say as soon as you pass a threshold point we announce x yeah i think for a practicality point of view I, i'd already seen that that the only the the best way to do it in a in a best professional manner was that I have a meeting with head of marketing on a Monday morning, and basically gave um, her and one of her team the list of um, here's everything you can announce this week. Here's what we're working on. By the way, here's the the little bits of snippet for for the amber light system. And by the way, I think it'd be worth you digging out some pictures of X Y Z because there's a likelihood of them coming. I think you know everyone's not wanting to, to make it kind of sound like I'm playing a little violin, but, you know, everyone's really busy. And I think if I was like, well, I've just got this email, announce it now, it just wouldn't work. Or then you'd induce the errors of, of you know, wrong picture or rushed or whatever. So I think the Thursday updates, uh, for me, it's it's more practical. And it, it means you can make a planning cycle of it. Um, you know, at Cosford, we try to do it weekly and react. It's, it's a weekly system. Um one of the first things that, that was said was, you know, can we bring back a bit more of the, the detail, which I was, you know, happy to do because I remember sitting on the other side of the fence and, and enjoying reading all the little bits of, oh, we've had a letter from whatever Air Force, etc. So we, we, we brought that back and that'll stick around for next year, fingers crossed. Um, but I think for practicality and to get things done in a professional manner, um, it'll, it should remain as a Thursday uh, midday update is, is the plan as far as I'm aware. Do you keep any items back as a surprise on on the day for arrivals? You know, something is a surprise that would spread like wildfire. Would you ever entertain doing that as well? Um, would would depend on, on the situation and, and ultimately it would have to be a collaborative decision with, with my colleagues in the marketing and PR departments. Of course, there's some aircraft that for operational reasons. Um, so as, as we all remember from 2017, the Israeli Air Force, um, you know, wasn't announced and then um, you know B two fly passes have been unannounced and things like that. So if there's if there's those, certainly they're adding a nice surprise. Um, but you know the, there's pros and cons to not announcing things. Um, you know a pro is it gives everyone a nice bonus. But what if I hadn't announced something that um, you know people really wanted to see or, uh, and things like that, and then they've missed out and not brought a ticket, um, and then you know they wish they had brought a ticket because they didn't know that the you know I don't know. French Mirage 2000 was going to be there that they really wanted a picture of and things like that. So there's pros and cons. I think you're always, you're going to upset people as much as you please people. 
Um, but never say never. Do the air arms themselves have a say in um, when or how you announce their participation? Yeah. So certain air forces um, have um, their own procedures. Um, so what what you know what I started to do and what Tom advised me to do was when you get the letter in, and if it's come from the attaché, just you know courtesy email of you know thank you first of all for for committing to send this aircraft. Secondly, um, you know we're planning to announce this next Thursday. Um, you know have you got any issues with this? Um, and most of the time they you know all the ones that we'd had so far it was, they're all happy. Um, but I know there is some countries where it has to be a bit more managed. Uh, of when you can announce it and of course there's some things where you've had the informal notification and you're working with them but you, you're just waiting for that to get it all formally signed off um, and that's that's not um, the show trying to be you know admin anal or anything like that it, it's simply you know we don't want to disappoint people and you know ha- waiting for all the the official confirmations means sh- make sure that what we're announcing to you has been is a formal intent. It's not someone off a squadron saying, I really want to bring this jet. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Let's start planning. It's, you know, it's the chief of an air arm making a commitment to say, I am going to send these aircraft to your air show. Um, and I think doing it any other way would be dishonest to the customers. If, if, if you're announcing stuff that's, that's, you know, not watertight, you're asking people to part with, with, with the hard-earned cash at the end of the day. Um, so in the same way that, you know, you can't be dishonest with advertising. I think you think it's a it's it's a duty we have to the customers to be as honest with you as we can. Did you ever? I mean, another criticism, not criticism. That's the wrong word. But comments. They they say that you know you, you won't get it. So you won't get an official confirmation. And the display calendar comes out, so everyone knows that such and such is already penciled. But you can't announce it because it's not on the dotted line. Um, and then when you do, everyone says, "Ah, well, we already knew that." Is that? hard to manage do you speak with air arms about saying please don't release details of this until we do on x date it's it's a balancing act isn't it um i've seen it from other sides of the fence though where an aircraft has been announced and on on a team's calendar before it's been signed off and then you know when things change um you're disappointing people um so i think it's always best to stay on the right side it's an interesting one because i'm kind of of the opinion that um, you know, let's take an example. It's it's well within the Belgian Air Force's right if they want to announce it to tell everyone where their F sixteen is going. Whereas I know other people think think it's the shows. It should be the show that announces it first. Obviously, from a marketing point of view, yeah, us announcing everything first would be better. Um, but it's just one of those. It's just I think it's just a fact of how things have changed in the last you know five ten years uh, when you know everyone's got their own Facebook page and things, and they want to tell their their fans where to see their aircraft. So. It's it's a swings and roundabouts. You, you, again, you can't win. Um, there is some. I think if we are working, you know, with a uh, let's say a nation coming for the first time, or we were doing something that was really wacky and there was a lot of PR effort, then we'd probably say, look, we want to announce it first. And this is how we want to do it. Um, but for for all the the kind of standard displays, um, we've got to wait. And yes, it can be frustrating. Um, but I know. And again, for this year, there was examples of aircraft that had put on. Uh, schedules on their social media that when we went through official channels they they hadn't officially decided the schedules it was that was the schedule of the, what the the team wanted to do rather than what the team were approved to, to do so there's 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 always a uh, a caveat so and th- there's a lot of stuff that can sit behind it of what support they're expecting and things like that so um 
it's you know it's the cliche of you know until it's well until it touches the runway it's not confirmed but until it's written on the on the on whatever events website it is um take it with a pinch of salt just a a similar it might be totally different i know you've obviously got like private contractors um and you've got like technical demonstrators and you've got private aircraft as well so like the jet provost and stuff that turn up does a similar thing apply to those guys where um, obviously you'll send out an invite and they've got to keep quiet or th- things like that does it uh, in, does it replicate in the civilian world as it does with talking to military air arms um, it's something I hadn't quite got that far with React so I hadn't really worked out the policy but what we used to say to uh, uh, Costard was we used to basically make a what we called a participation agreement which laid out the right we're going to pay you this much you get this much fuel we're going to give you this many bedrooms and a, a condition was that was you can't tell anyone you come in until we tell people um, and I'd probably look to do similar um, for Fairford because um, again there's been examples um, that I've seen during my time kind of on the, on the enthusiast side of the fence where people have posted stuff on the forums and whatever saying this aircraft's going to react and um I think we're going so far back it wouldn't be Tom, it'd be Rob Windsor replied with his account on a UCAR going, is it? Because I don't know anything about it, kind of thing. I think there was quite a funny one. I think it was a vampire a few years ago. I'm talking like 2008, 9, 10 kind of time frame. And there was, there was quite a discussion. I'm sure it was on, the, it was on like a public thread on UCAR. I was, well, no, this is definitely going. It's like, I am Deputy Director of Air Operations and I know nothing about this. Um, was was like kind of posted on the forum. It was like, well, I know who I'm going to believe, so... <laughs> that must be the most satisfying <laughs> feeling as air ops. Speaking of civilian acts, civilian owned jet teams, um, do you think there's a future for static and air, well, aerial displays? Why not for the uh, Skyhawks of Whitmond or ATAC or you know, for Red Air, air adversaries to attend? that's a future thing to look at i think it would be absolutely dreamy if it could but i think the problem is they are because they're commercial entities they would look at it fundamentally of a commercial point now some of the figures that i've seen for what they work out their hourly flying rates that they charge to militaries you know you'd you'd wipe out you know double your flying display budget in in their five minute display um what i kind of my personal hope is one year at fairford we'll have a company bring a skyhawk and then suddenly all the other and they'll get loads of interest because you know all the world's chiefs are there and then all the other companies will go oh this is really good and then i'm kind of hoping that you know at some point in the next five years and then you know them putting their hand in their pocket and sending an aircraft to fairford to showcase it becomes the norm um because it is a great opportunity for them to see the air for you know 30 40 of the world's chiefs and all their advisors to see their aircraft parked at fairford and basically it's a big sales board for hey here's my really cool mirage f1 or or skyhawk or whatever you know i'm sure there's one of the companies getting f-16s now um and some some of the companies that are bigger than some people's air forces um so no i'd I'd love to see that happen but i think i think the kind of pay-per-view element i think it would be um unless the business model drastically changes i think it would never really get off the ground um, but I would like to think in, in future years, as that becomes more important in military aviation, the kind of contractor element, um, that we could see a bit more of that. Because let's be honest, some of the aircraft in the Red Air fleets are, are what people are crying out to see, aren't they? You know, the, the, as you say, Skyhawks, Mirage F1s, um, Kuffers and stuff like that, some crazy stuff out there. Well, this is what I've always thought. Say, you know, the Texan 2s or Raytheon or the you know, BAE turned up with that uh, remotely piloted jet stream. So... There is a contractor, a commercial element, and it's long been said that Riyadh's a sort of mini farm, you know, an opportunity for contractors to get together and talk shop. 
without talking shop. So you know, I would have thought there's a huge opportunity for red air companies. So perhaps you're right. So you know, I mean, um, HHA turn up to react with their hunters. So maybe that's something uh, you know you could do and stretch to bring it in. Yeah. Well, and, and Top Aces, or I think they were just still Discovery Air then, in 2017, I remember their, their engineers were there. They had their information book because they'd come in their branded car from Germany. It was all there because I remember I'd driven around with Paul Lindsay, the airfield manager, and we'd seen them. And they were like, oh, do you know when the jet's due in? And we looked at the yeah. sheet and they were, we were like, oh, whatever time it was. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. So we, and it was literally hours before because another one went tech in Germany that that didn't make it, which is a crying shame. Um, but yeah, the info board was still up in the South yeah. area in 2017. So um, Alan Smith, who is the chairman of uh, chair of the board of RFCTE, when I was having one of my first kind of welcome chats with me, he's made it very clear that he wants a Skyhawk, you know, because he he's a spotter at heart. So he's made it very clear that you know if I, if a Skyhawk turns up at React, he'll be a very happy man. So you know, it's right from the top. It's you know, so you know, challenge, challenge set. <laughs> a big part of I mean, as a lot of people have known, have listened to the podcast, I, I love civilian aviation. A big part, or one thing that I've always enjoyed at React is seeing the airliners turn up. Like last year, it was great to see the celebrating the BA100, the 747 with the Reds. Is there still a hope for airliners to still turn up at React? Because obviously, particularly with everything that's happened this year, fleets have been downsized and stuff. But is there still that sort of trepidation to try and get the airliners to turn up at the show? Yeah, so from what I'd seen in previous years, all of those were, were very much the airlines pushing. They, they want to be involved. Um, and, you know, if we've got space for it, you know, the, seeing the 747 and the Reds was awesome and some of the other stuff that we've had in the past. Um, and I wouldn't be adverse to some of them, you know. Imagine a BA747 on static display. Maybe the 74 is a bit big and it'd come with a lot of logistical issues. Um to, to, but that, I think that'd be really, really cool to see. Um, but I think you know, uh, <laughs> as you know, Dan, you know, com, com, yeah. <laughs> commercial aviation at the moment is not the healthiest it's ever been. I think that's 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 quite the understatement. Um, so I think it just depends on you know how many aircraft pilots fleet budget marketing wise. You know, uh, ha, ha, what can they afford to do it? Um, the, the, I'd say the door would always be open to them because, um, as I said before, I think giving it a, a breadth of aircraft. Uh, to, exp- uh, to kind of showcase because um, the the parent charity of React is the RF Charitable Trust and their kind of their objective is to promote, support and encourage and part of that is you know um, getting young people into STEM and aviation which which the UK is in, in di- well all countries are in dire need of and you know if if getting a BA you know in the future let's say 350 or 787 to the show inspires them to say I want to you know go and work for BA Engineering you know that's 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 a tick in the box so there's a there's hope for everything, but you know commercial aviation at the moment. A fair few of my university colleagues uh, are in commercial aviation, and so I hear I hear the woes uh, that the industry finds itself in. Do you think there's scope? Well, well, let's put push the boat out. Do you think there's scope to get the Antonov Am two two five? Is that ever a possibility? Um, so I can't say a definitive yes or no without looking at the. So I'm sure you'd be aware there's ACNs and PCNs. So PCN is a pavement classification number. So basically, how strong your concrete is versus how heavy the airplane is, because you don't want it to sink in, because that would be kind of embarrassing. So you know, before I met, before I gave an answer, I'd have to check that. But you know, I'd imagine Fairfield probably could. Um, if Antonov wanted to be that, I, I think if we had to pay for it, um, I don't. I think that would would sink the show budget. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> hearing rumours of how much it's charged for charter flights to yeah. take stuff there, but you know, for for raw public appeal, 
yeah, an Antonov 225, well, who wouldn't want to see that on static display and walk through it and things like that? So, you know, never say never, but with all things, it's, you know, the practicality aspect. So an example on a slightly smaller airplane, the C5. Um, the C5, there is only one place at Fairford where it can, on, on kind of static area, where it can park without having to be towed. Um, and basically the towing arms, for some reason, are in massively short supply. The only one in Europe is at Ramstein, and, you know, I don't think we'd ever get that thing. So, you know, as soon as you've got a C5 in, you're immediately boxed into, well, it's parking there, or it, you know, it's parking and not leaving, or, or things like that. Um, just behind where Friat is. Exactly, yeah, it's that stand where it was in 2012, I think, last time, one camel static. So there's, there's all those little, you know, the little considerations that I wasn't aware of, um, taking on the role and there's a million and one things that come with all the aircraft size and yeah the 225 is quite the beast so um but you know never say never but you know i think if if antonov rung me up and said you can have any aircraft from the fleet i'd probably go for an antonov 22 um the antonov 22 sorry um uh, you know i might get stoned by some people for saying that but you know for for uniqueness value you know that, that that's a cool airplane you know the antonov 225 is cool but a 22 is is very cool and i, and I haven't seen the 22 either so Get one, get one, get one for. I'll try and find ten minutes, and I get a picture of that as well. Do you think there's ever scope to get aircraft from the Russian armed forces back to Riyadh, or is that just a diplomatic thing? Um, it's that that would be led on on the foreign office and the diplomatic relationships. I mean, if we if you look ten years ago, you know, um, international relations were different, and it was a possibility. Um, but the world we live in at the moment. Um, without wanting to get too political. I, I think it's, you know, pretty clear in the public domain that diplomatic relations between the UK and Russia weren't great, and then after Salisbury got a bit worse. Um, so, obviously, it, the, the decision would be way above our pay grade. Um, and it's, you know, for the moment, um, they are on the... It's not called the blacklist, but, you know, we the, the lists for any foreign aircraft being invited to any UK air show are run through the MOD's foreign liaison staff. Um and Russia aren't put on the list because we know the answer. Um, so, um, for, if the world changed, you know, I'd love to be in a situation where, I don't know, you know, twenty years time, see the Russian knights, or, or you know, a, a you know, bear, well, so bears could still be flying in fifty years because that aircraft seems to just be ever everlasting. Um, so you know, <laughs> never say never, but it's, there's 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 bigger um, world geopolitics at play, sadly, than than uh, an aircraft witch list. What about? something like the Indians they turned up in 2007 because they were on exercise but they seem to turn up to international air shows quite rarely in fact I can't think of an international air show they've attended recently so the last time they came to the UK was 2008 which is when they sent the Sarang team so they'd sent the team to Berlin Air Show um, to sell the Howl uh, Drove helicopter um, so yeah so I think they came to Biggin Hill Waddington and react there might have been something else um but i, I know they were, they were definitely there for those shows and that was the last time that an indian air force um, aircraft came to the uk to, to participate in an air show obviously their aircraft have been back since in 2015 we had the su-30 mkis for for the exercise at waddington um uh, sorry collingsby that time uh, which was awesome to see um and a lot of it were just it's it's as i said relationships and air arms and some air, air arms are, are keener to show off their products and others aren't. You know, for me, the Indian Air Force, they've got their new fighter aircraft that I'd love to see um, showcased at Fairfield in the future. And it's one of those that, you know, you don't ask, you don't get, and you just keep on building bridges and trying to understand what challenges 
they're trying to overcome. So I know previously, um, 2018, we were, you know, we went our laps trying to get an Indian Jack. Uh, they uh, stated that they had a policy that only one combat squadron could be out of the country at any one time. That was just one of their rules and um, something else was going to be out on exercise somewhere. Um, I think they went to Alaska with the, with the Sukhois, I think it was. So it's just understanding other air arms' priorities um, and policies is just part of the job. It's like a lot of European Air Forces now, um, that you know, all these discussions come out during the IMAS convention, are slowly adopting a kind of one show per year policy. So the Austrians have had that for a number of years, that they'll only support one, they're only allowed to do 10 overseas shows and only one per country per year. Uh, so that's why you'd never see kind of an Austrian Saab going to Waddington, Yeovilton, and then react because they're not allowed to. They've got to come to one or the other. That's, you know, rules are rules. So there's scope for Indian Jacks to potentially. <laughs> now that's that's stretching it. That's stretching it a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> but so how? So, so obviously, so the Indian Air Force. I mean, they're just an example. But in terms of an air show. How would you break into that? Are there any air arms that until recently have come back over the years after time away from the show? How do you sort of burst through that? Do you go to India? Do you visit the Indian Embassy? So the primary point of contact that anyone will have is through their their military and defence and air attaches. Um, so most countries in the uh, well, in London will have an embassy, um, and they'll have. Um, so everyone has a military attaché, but some countries will have a military attaché and an air attaché. Now, if the country's got that, we're, we're on to a winner. Um, so, because the military attaché, a funny example can be if they're, let's say, an ex-army tank commander. So I've sat in, in uh, an embassy and been talking about their aircraft, you know, you know what aircraft are like, you know, MiG-29, F-16, SG-22, <laughs> C-130. It's all just numbers and letters. And the, the chap was being very polite and nodding his head and he was like, you do realise I have no idea what you're about because because I know what tanks are. He's like, aircraft are just, you know, aircraft take me on holiday, tanks are what I fight in. So it's like, okay. So if they've got an air attaché who, who's brought on board, um, who's Air Force, um, more often than not, they'll be air crew. Um, so you're onto a winner there because they know what a MiG-29 and a C-130 and an F-16 are um, rather than thinking they're tanks or guns. Um, the UK will then have an attaché in their country as well. Um, and that's a mix. Some countries, again, have just military attachés. Some, you know, one guy will look after a few countries and some will have a dedicated air attaché. Or some even have a liaison officer, which is even better because that's an RAF officer embedded in their headquarters. Um, so the, there's the, the, there come kind of the primary routes in, the formal routes in. And then sometimes you can do a bit of unofficial uh, networking if you've had an approach from a display team themselves who, who want to come. And it's, it's a lot of it is trying to connect up with their, with their own process and, and our process to say, well, we've written the letter to your chief, oh, but that letter hasn't got to us. Well, you know, how do we you know, get your chief to understand that you want to come and we want you to come and, uh, and all that? So it's, it's um, you know, we could talk for an hour about the, about the process, but there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes work. It's never as easy as... Firing off a letter and stuff happens. Um, apart from um, some of the really loyal supporters, but then you're having the conversation to say, "Hey, we really love what you're doing, but you know we'd really like this aircraft because." And it's that point of you know people want to show off their toys, or you know the attaché might know that their chief used to fly a certain type of aircraft, 
So he's trying to get you that because he thinks the chief will like it. Whereas you're saying, well, actually, I don't want that. I want that because it's about to go out of service, or because we've got, a, a, you know, we've got a, a marine theme, so we want, so we want that. Um, so there's, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a revolving door, and it's building those relationships with the attaches in London that's really important, and then getting to know people in country um, who, you know, hopefully will then rise through their air force, and you know, they might have only been a squadron pilot when they came to Riyadh, and then in ten years' time, they're now, you know, the equivalent of a, a group captain or, or air officer commanding of a group who has a bit more sway in, in what comes so that's why looking after everyone who turns up to react and that's why react's been so successful there's a lot of chiefs out there in the world now that have been to react not just as a chief but as a you know as pilots um you know they might have come in the 80s or 90s with their jets or probably 90s and 2000s now and then you know flown in their air force careers and now they're now they're coming back to um go into the patrons pavilion and enjoy themselves in network but they've got happy memories of bringing their, their jet um, when they were a squadron pilot 20 years ago. In terms of just have a few beers with them and get them drunk and save it till they bring something along. Exactly that. Exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm going to change the subject slightly. Um, we speak a lot, when we're, when we're at arrivals, we speak a lot about the Skyvan. Um, what's your opinion on the Skyvan? There is a lot of talk on the days of it negatively affecting the show. There's less aircraft, say, doing touch and goes, missed approaches. The German tornadoes used to do it quite a bit. Uh, NATO AWACS, AWAC, sorry, uh, did a fantastic approach many years ago. How do you feel that affects the show? Um, so I've seen it from a couple of different operators now. And for the Riyadh one, funnily enough, it was, it was the bit of work I was just getting my teeth into when this thing called Corona kept being discussed in meetings and... I was like, why are we talking about beers? And then we started talking about things like <laughs> Corona and PPE and things like that. So I never really got the, the work done. Um, on the one point, um, yes, there's a, there's a balance to be had between aircraft bashing the circuit to get lots of uh, pictures and whatnot. And my enthusiast head said, yeah, we want everything to you know, bash the circuit a bit. But then there's also re-out arrival stays are really, really busy. And if we're trying to get stuff in on two-minute slots, if it's a be- busy period... It could be the nicest aircraft in the world that we've all wanted to see. But if, you know, if we've got a queue of 20 aircraft to come in, um, I'll fully back my team of volunteer air traffic controllers that want to get it in for a straight-in approach and landed. Because ultimately, a safe airfield environment is the priority. Um, yes, we want to facilitate the opportunities, you know, missed approaches, and, you know, and then, you know, for people at West vacating at Bravo and things like that. Um, but... That is, it's a consideration, but it's not the prime. The primary consideration is operating a safe air environment uh, for all these aircraft, which we owe to the world's air forces who, who we said, please come to our airfield. Because, um, you know, Riyadh and RFCT sign that airfield off the USAF and assume all complete responsibility for it. So it, it's on our chief exec's shoulders that we will operate that air, airfield to the same standard as Heathrow. Uh, on that week, fundamentally. Uh, so there's that aspect. For the Skyvan itself, um, without being fully scripted upon the facts, I wouldn't want to kind of say anything um, negatively about them or positively because I've only had positive experiences um, working with them previously, um, one of the, the other organisations. But I know both organisations, and both of them want to do the best for, for the air shows. Um, and want to get the best pictures, but yes, of course, that there's a balance to making sure that uh, opportunities aren't aren't being made uh, unique um, to other people. Um, but again, it's it's that aspect of 
anything that's going on, we've got to just make sure that it, we know that it's been done safely. Because, um, yeah, if, if anything did go wrong, whether it's that with an arrival being a bit too sporty, a too sporty a departure, an incident with a skyvan or an incident with the show, I think another um, significant in- incident is, is, is one surefire way to get rid of air shows full stop. So. I don't know if you're allowed to say, but how does some of the stories that come out from the Skyvan affect you guys at the show? There's talk of, you know, last year the MiGs running out of uh, fuel while the F-16 was displaying. Um, there was that video that went up very briefly of the German tornado flying underneath it. How does that affect you guys at the show? So the MiGs um, didn't go to the Skyvan. The MiGs ran out of fuel as they had flight plan issues um, were a bit longer and then they'd, they'd been sent down to the Western Loop um, for for pictures and then have been held there. So yes, they they had to shut down on the north side because they were um, very 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 low on fuel. Um, but for for the other stuff, as I said, without wanting to know all the facts, um, I wouldn't want to speculate on the uh, on any alleged occurrences. I mean, obviously, uh, you we we can't sort of skirt around it. Unfortunately, it's not going ahead this year. And you were and you were quite a way through into you know announcing aircraft and getting things booked and stuff um and but how's it affected like i mean obviously it must be a major blow for you guys and the rest of the team um and obviously you've gone into doing the uh, the virtual react which we're all looking forward to um has it has it had any unexpected benefits though of like doing something a bit different i'm i'm sure you've not got spare time on your hands because you're obviously doing a lot of organizing at the moment but yeah how's that sort of affected you guys as a team mm-hmm. So the plan is that effectively, so it's going to be a Facebook Live and YouTube Live broadcast um, on, on both days. And it's unique content each day. It's, it's not repeated or anything like that. So what we're looking at doing is setting up kind of mini TV studio for our uh, aviation pundits. Um, so we'll have them in the studio and they'll be the kind of hosts. And then it will split between the virtual displays, which is the flight simulator displays that have been announced um, that we're working with um, virtual air shows and some of their stuff is really mind-blowingly good their formation um, and hopefully you've seen the video that came out with the real red arrows meeting the virtual red arrows uh, and and stuff so we're before the virtual reds perform at react they're kind of doing a mini pda with the real reds um, and then in the studio we're hoping to have um, virtual red 10 and real red 10 there to commentate on the virtual display which would be quite cool and then we've got some other virtual stuff we've got some of the you know planes tv footage from displays over the last few years the highlights um so things like the harriers and the mig-21s um you know have a bit of that in hopefully i'm not spoiling any surprises but you know they have been highlights the last few years and then the kind of fourth element is um we're working with the raf to get some really cool content um both little short clips from squadrons and kind of behind the scenes um hopefully by the time this comes out our latest trailer will be out and i'm not going to ruin the surprise on that because it's, it's something that i think people will go wow i want to tune in to see that so some of these kind of wow things we are going to advertise what time they're going to be on the saturday and sunday so people can uh, nip in and out if they want to but i think if people watch the full full hours on both days they'll love it um, and then we've got the international the little snippets from them of aircraft that have been to rear or we're planning to come uh, and then the behind the scenes element. So that's sort of when we filmed on the Voyager flight, we, um, it's kind of a, a five minute uh, feature on, you know, what what is air to air refueling? How does, you know, what does the Voyager do? Some cool footage when we had the F-35s next to us fueling and things like that um, and some other stuff we've got filming. So hopefully it's going to be 
Um, you know, we're aiming for it to be, you know, as per the React brand, a really polished, really high quality product that everyone um, who's not at Fairford and wishes they would, would it's, you know, next best thing, hopefully, to give you some really cool behind the scenes uh, views of aircraft um, <laughs> and showcase military air- aviation in the way that React does, but we're just having to do it through a screen this year. It sounds like this has been done, it's sort of the way it's sold, which is great and fantastic that it's free. Is a real sort of look or push forward as to what digital aviation can be. We've seen Planes TV, to their credit, put live-to-view air shows with archive footage out most weekends. But this sounds different with a combination of digital air show, uh, commentary or whatever. Um, are you going to collate the footage and make it available on a DVD in, in, or, or in some other way? for people who might not be available on that weekend? So they, I think the plan for the moment is that the video will stay on Facebook and YouTube after the weekend. So it'll be a live broadcast that then just stays on as, as a normal video afterwards. And really, it's it's kind of, I think, um, I can't remember, I'm sure someone famous has probably made a really good quote about, you know, challenge and innovation and stuff. But it is, it's, I think, not just in aviation, everywhere, we've seen companies having to do stuff differently because our normal way is gone. And this is a, well, we can't hold an airship. What, what can we do to still, you know, support our customers, support our stakeholders and, and you know, um, support our, our charity? Uh, so th- this is it for this year. And it's it's kind of, what's what do we want people to get out of real React but through a screen? Um, and, you know, no doubt if, if, we, if everyone had a choice, um, would you rather be stood at Park and View West photographing uh, Rafales and Mirage 2000s or whatever, vacating off Taxiway Bravo in full sun? You'd rather be doing that, but hopefully this will be a worthy alternative and something that hopefully, um, you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful and confident that it's going to be really well received over the weekend and it's some really unique um, footage for people to see and that it's going to be interactive as well so we'll have people manning the the comments on youtube and facebook so when we've got um interviewees in the studio there'll be an opportunity for you to ask questions of the interviewees uh and things like that and hopefully a couple of competitions as well well we touched upon it in a in a previous podcast saying or i mentioned it earlier as well in this one saying how you know react's a big thing for a lot of aviation enthusiasts and it is the talk of the weekend um even if you're not going to the show itself and I imagine, or I'd like to hope that because a lot of people have got that time off anyway, the the pull of people watching, watching it will hopefully be pretty big, and a lot, and hopefully it'll just be really well received. I'm looking forward to it. It's something to do at the weekend other than drink beer. Well, I could just drink beer and watch it at the same time. <laughs> you, can, you can drink drink beer while sat in a tent in your garden with the hose with the hose spraying in the air, so it's like it's raining. <laughs> or sit under a UV lamp and get sunburned with a dodgy bacon burger as well. <laughs> Well, it's interesting stuff. I mean, hopefully we might find a way of doing some sort of thing on the podcast. What it will be is the community. So even if you're not at React, everyone is talking about it because they're all there. That's one of the things that's the most gutting if you don't go is because you feel like you're missing out. And, you know, but it's, it's to your credit that it's free. How did that decision come about? Because presumably no tickets to sell, RAF CTE could have charged. So well, maybe it's a question for Paul, but... What was the what behind the decision there? Yeah, that decision was made before I was brought back off furlough, and there was a there was a few different you know pricing strategies, and I think you know is the the part of the objection of doing it is you know we're React React customers are important, um, so it's it's giving something to to the React customers, uh, especially all, everyone who's you know rolled over their tickets for next year. It's kind of the you know 
here's to, to assist in you and your patience waiting for React 2021. Um, so no, I think I think the having it free to get the, the most number of people involved um, what was the best thing to do. And what are you going to be doing that weekend? Um, being very stressful directing the... Uh, <laughs> I'm having to learn how to be a TV director. So, you know, um, pl- pl- <laughs> Planes TV are doing all the technical stuff and I think I'll be just making sure we, we run the programme to time and and things like that and then enjoy a beer in the evening, hopefully. <laughs> Digital just, just display director. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The how hard can it be? Famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> Well, Peter, thanks very much for appearing on the UCAR podcast. Very candid approach to organising air shows. Um, and we look forward to seeing what you do with air shows um, ahead. And um, we'll sign off. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. Um, if you've got any thoughts or feedback, um, please do let us know, either by our social media channels, um, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Um, you can find us by searching UK Airshow Review or on our forums, which are forums.airshows.co.uk. Thanks very much, everyone.